To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on my friend, Brandon Mason. So Brandon Mason works over at the Eastman's office. Uh, in fact, he's one of the head guys over at Eastman's. Uh, I work hand-in-hand hand with Brandon on a bunch of different items and, and tasks and things of that nature. And um, Brandon is just, uh, he's the salt of the earth. He's such a great human being. Uh, I, I always like hanging out with him, and I love getting him on the podcast as he's just so genuine, so authentic, and and then, you know, he's just been born and raised hunting. It's in his blood, and um, so today we, we have him on the podcast, and we talk over our kids hunting. Um, you know, he's getting ready to take his kids out, and, and then we touch on Brandon's hunting season a bit. Um, Brandon talks about one of the low points in his hunting season. It's one of the things I like about Brandon is he's he's so upfront, so honest and authentic talking about these uh, tough to talk about subjects. And so, um, you know, he, he talks about a shot he had on a mule deer that did not go as planned this year. And uh, we kind of dive in depth on it. But I always really enjoy Brandon and really enjoy having him on the podcast. And I think you guys will, too. I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Everly Stock Packs. Everly Stock builds a great durable pack. Uh, I've been using their packs for the last few years. Uh, really enjoy their kite pack for day hunting. In fact, I use that for elk hunting this year, traveling with my camp on my back. And the reason is, is that pack is so light. And, um, and then when you do harvest an animal, it'll pack out heavy loads. And um, so I use that for like two, three day missions this year. I use their little big top um, for weekend trips up to five days. And then I use their destroyer quite a bit as it just is made to pack heavier loads. Uh, it's burlier. It's got more cubic inches. And so I can use that for long expedition hunts that go up to 10, 12 days. They also have word that they're coming out with a new pack in the spring of 2021. Uh, I saw it on their story. It's called a, a vapor pack. And I really think this is going to be designed for the, the style of backpacking that I like to do. I see it has a meat shelf in it. I'm super pumped to see this pack come out. So, um, yeah, as soon as I get my hands on one, I'll let you guys know. But I, I think this is going to be a, a really cool pack. So, uh, uh, Everly Stock, they build a great pack, super durable, packs the weight right. If you guys are in the market, make sure to check them out. They're a great price point as well. And uh, thanks to Everly Stock for their support of the podcast. With that, um, make sure to check out everything we have going on over at Eastman's. Uh, I just had a new film drop on Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV show. You can search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube, and it'll pop up. I think it's called Open Country Bucks. Uh, so this is a, a great transition for me. Uh, a lot of my shows have been on the outdoor channel, and slowly they're starting to move those over to the internet. And like this one will be on the internet and will also be on TV. And so I'm just super excited for all of you guys to be able to watch these hunts and 
and and hopefully I can uh, portray him in a in a positive light and and hopefully have some good insight into hunting our public lands out west. Uh, so this was that tough hunt uh, I had this year um, where I had that miss on the sticker buck. Uh, so you guys get to see my miss in all my glory on that thing. Um, and, and then I just sat down and talked into the camera after that happened when I was really at my lowest lows. And uh, you can hear my buddy Dan laughing in the background as I crack jokes about uh, selling my bow or quitting bow hunting or, you know, just gosh, I just felt about an inch tall. But I was able to record all that and then, you know, get back, regroup, and I, I just couldn't end that hunt that way. And so I gave up some elk hunting days. I went back for another bonsai trip, ended up doing, loading up my backpack and backpacking in, and then killing that really nice buck with a perfect shot. So uh, it, it was really fun to capture, and uh, I, I'm proud at the way it came out and excited to show you guys. So uh, make sure to check that out, uh, Eastman's Hunting TV uh, on the uh, – on the YouTube. So yeah, super excited about that. There's also the, the mule deer migration film on there. And if you really search through the archives, you can find a, an Alaskan hunt of mine on there. Uh, I think I saw one of my elk hunts on there and, uh, there'll be more to come here in the future. Um, with that, uh, podcast is going good, man. I got some good recordings for you guys, including today's recording with Brandon Mason. I love catching up with him. Um, but next week I've got Marlon Holden back on, uh, gray light hunter. Um, guy is so dedicated to hunting mule deer with his bow. And I, I, uh, lined it up to go a little long. And so it's going to be a couple hour podcast that I'm going to release to you guys. And it's perfect timing too, as we really talk mule deer A to Z, but we talk about uh, mule deer and hunting them in the desert, which is just perfect timing for the Arizona season down there. So uh, make sure you listen in to next week's show. That's going to be a great one. And um, yeah, just some other great recordings coming up. Um, gosh, I did one uh, yesterday morning with James Yates. Uh, killed one of the biggest deer to come off the front on the very last day of the extended archery season. And uh, gosh, he's just got an engineer's mind and it just made for this great recording. So that'll be coming up. And like I say, I'm super excited at, at some of these guests I'm having on and then some of the conversations that we're having that that I really think will help you in your quest to 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 be a proficient Western hunter. All right. So with that, let's get into this podcast. So my buddy, Brandon Mason, uh, this is Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Packed into the mainframe, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yep, I did. So uh, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I got you great. Good. How yeah. you been? Oh, I've been good. Yeah, season's been great here. Um we just having the time to go and spend it with family and friends is just incredible. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of back to the grindstone now and back to work, but it's been amazing here the last eight weeks or so. Good deal. Have you uh, got your girls out and stuff? Yep. So uh, the U season opens for Thursday and Friday. So I've got oh. a trip planned with my youngest daughter and we're going to head out and go chase some mule deer around. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, we're... Um... I'm taking my two oldest kids have their first antelope buck tag, so we're going out Friday as well. Oh, good for you! Uh, your what'd you say? Your two oldest? 
Yep, my two oldest. So I have one boy and three girls. And my obviously, you know, who Hunter is he, him and my oldest daughter Danica. They drew their what's well, her first tag of anything, and she's thirteen. And then um, it's his first antelope buck tag. He's shot a couple does, and then as you know, of course, some of the other big game tags he's drawn, but never an antelope buck yet. So here we go. Oh man, um, how cool! Yeah, I knew Hunter um, had shot an antelope before, but yeah, his first buck. Um, yeah, that kid's—he's um, making a heck of a career out of it. <laughs> I told him, I said he's probably going to get skunked for the next ten years on drawing tags. I said you've been so dang lucky. I can't believe it. Well, it's uh, good. It, it's one of the things that I really like about you, Brandon, is you spend so much time uh, with your family and friends trying to help them be successful. I think it's like such a great trait to have, um, you know, to be a good friend and a good husband and father and things. So I just think that's so great that you put the priority in getting your kids out and giving them those experiences. Yeah, thanks. It's it's uh, I was just I mean I think I've always been that way a little bit, but just the older you get too, you just I, I mean I not that I still don't want to hunt for myself or anything, but the um I get so much more joy out of taking them hunting or like you said somebody else that either needs some access to a spot that maybe I do or a new adult hunter or whatever. I just I love it. Yeah, there's there's nothing like it to be able to share in somebody else's success and then see that see that pure joy and elation on their face especially your, your kid to be able to share this this thing that we all love this um this hunting you know and to be able to share that with them and then see the joy and excitement on their face uh it, it's better than my own excitement at this point yep i agree and i always tell my girls too because they're not you know they're not wired like hunter is where that's all he wants to do and you know they're, they're like going out with me here and there and but more more laid back type of adventures. And, and I told him, I said, I don't expect you to be a, you know, dyed in the wool hunter for the rest of your life or whatever. If you do great, if not, whatever, but I do need you to understand the importance of conservation and the role that hunters play in it. Um, and I want you to be an active participation participant, excuse me, in that. And, um, that way you can be an informed member of the voting public when you get to be an adult and then, you know, if they end up marrying somebody who's big time in the outdoors, they can understand his passion and, and why he does it. So, Man, uh, those girls are going to make a, a really good wife someday. I, um, <laughs> that uh, that future husband, he owes you a head nod for sure. Yeah, I hope so. Hopefully they'll find a good guy that l- loves the outdoors and um, we'll see, I guess it's hard to believe, but not too many years from now, that's all those conversations are going to be more relevant than I care to admit. Oh, I know they're relevant for me right now with, um, being 16 and 12, of course the 12 year old, uh, isn't real active in the dating scene, but the 16 year old definitely getting more interested in boys and things. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I think it's great that you give them those experiences too, because it's one thing to go along with dad. It's another thing to have your own tag in your pocket and have your own excitement. And the deal is, too, is once you decide to become a hunter, one of the things that I enjoy about it so much is the challenge, like how extremely difficult it is. And that's, you know, with any weapon that we choose, a bow or a rifle, and to be able to to show that to my daughters and have them have a tag in their pocket and then see how many miles we put on and country we glass trying to turn up a – you know, a decent buck, um, and, and then be immersed in that challenge. Like, I think that's part of the beauty of it. 
Yeah, I think so too. And the outdoors teaches you life lessons that are, are not that they're impossible to learn in other venues, but it's a lot harder, I think, to learn them. Um, you know, it teaches you, you know, that, that grit and toughness of, you know, even if it's for just a week living off the land and survivability and persevering through mental and physical trials, especially in the high country. I mean, you know, Hunter was with us with Scott and I on our high country mule deer hunt this year. And he's been up in the high country on backpacking trips with me before, but nothing this long and this hard. And it was neat to see him. He's 15 now. So it was neat to see him mentally battling it out with himself that first night. I mean, it was, he was, you know, as excited as a little puppy dog initially, he was running the camera for us. And so he was running up the trail and running up hills and catching us walking by and doing all these cool shots. And, and uh, he was pretty spent by the time we got there <laughs> and we had to filter water. We got there just with about 20 minutes left of glass. So we, Scott went ahead and started glassing while we went to go get water because we had a little bit of a hike to go do that. And, you know, we had to filter water for quite a while in the dark and we hadn't eaten supper yet. And, you know, you're out of energy and just tired. And uh, I was watching him and he was mentally battling it out. I could see it because I've been there. And, and, you know, halfway through the week, we were telling him what a great job he was doing. Just, we, we said, you know, trips like that break a lot of adults, you know, mentally and physically. And I said, now do you understand why, what I've been telling you most of your life that these trips are as much about me finding what I'm made of than it is about killing something. And, and once you, you know, I said, now the day to day of life doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, I mean, if, if, uh, you know, stores close and I was planning to go in and buy something or, you know, just little life things that are annoyances. It's like, after you've done this, it's kind of like, hmm, not that big a deal, really. You know, it gives you perspective. That is so, so true and so well said, Brandon. Um, yeah, we don't learn those good life lessons through being comfortable. <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're through being challenged and adversity and overcoming that. And, and you're right. We all have those feelings, even us, the most hardcore backcountry hunters, um, you know, we're not having fun all the time on those hunts. Like, um, <laughs> you know, you have to endure and a lot of those, uh, endless miles and elevations, you know, they, they don't pan out. And so you've got to keep pushing forward. And so, yeah, we do have those talks with ourselves. We've all been through it, but how neat to, to watch your son go through that and watch his trials and tribulations and then watch him come through the other side of it. Like watching him have those arguments with himself being out of his, his comfort zone, you know, being in the mountains with, with, two men, you know, being in the mountains and then having to hack it for a week on end of, of getting water and, and, and camping and elevation of miles, man, how cool. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. And you know, something you said just triggered a thought I had while you were talking to look up a, a text that my wife had sent me a few weeks ago. Um, it came from, uh, it's a quote from Theodore Roosevelt from one of my daughter's history books. And it's titled American Virtues. And it reminded me of this just when you were kind of recapping some of that. It says, Americanism means the virtues of courage, honor, justice, truth, sincerity, and hardihood, the virtues that made America. The things that will destroy America are prosperity at any price, peace at any price, safety first instead of duty first, the love of soft living, and the get-rich-quick theory of life. And I thought of that, that love of soft living, because, you know, we're so spoiled in, in the United States and 
and I'm, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for that, that we have a great life here, but, um, we're so far removed. Most people, most of society are so far removed from living off the land and grandparents that homesteaded and, you know, going out to the family farm or having to use an outhouse for a toilet or whatever. And we're so spoiled that I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing a lot of the, you know, crazy issues happen in our country is people just have lost their perspective. And that's why I really try hard to give my kids that because then they can see what a big deal really is in life and what it's not. Yeah. I, I like that saying, uh, uh I, what's, I always say, uh, I've seen a big deal and this isn't one, you know, it's, yeah. it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it, when you've been through that and you've been through truly tough times, yeah, the rest of life is easy, but we all start to take it for granted. And, and it is something that we have to keep in perspective. I mean, we go straight to our tap and turn it on and we've got nice, clean, cold water that comes out a fridge full of food. And, you know, you talked about those previous generations. They were real men. They made those guys tough. Like when you're when you're working 10, 12 hour days, seven days a week just to put food on your table, just so your family doesn't starve. You know, they they had perspective back then. Like they they were hard. Like I know my grandfather or even my my dad and his brothers. You know, I talk about them hunting the Pacific Northwest in jeans and flannels and hunting <laughs> hunting for me. Can you imagine? Yeah, we, we have all this nice gear now that helps us stay out there longer. But uh, ultimately, you know, the the same the same principles and and the same mindset holds true today. You know, that 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 toughness is, is what makes you successful in the field. Uh, you know, you're being able to endure the the hardships of weather, the hardships and all of these hunts are tough when you get on it. You know, none of the hunts that I go on, go as planned, where I just show up and that giant six-point bull is standing broadside out there for me to shoot. It's like I get there and I find hunting pressure or I get there and I can't find animals. Like like every hunt, I have to I have to go through this again where I have to just stay tough and, and believe in myself and believe in the cause and keep putting effort forward. And it's amazing how things just come together when you put forth that effort and believe in it. But none of these hunts are easy anymore. No, and you know that even though we're seeing, you know, as a country, the number of hunter numbers dwindling, you know, from coast to coast. But we out west here, it's getting harder to draw the tags. And so, you know, you, you put yourself in some of these more extreme circumstances to either get away from the crowd or – um, this is an area that maybe you won't draw for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe never. Who knows, depending on the point system and in what state. And you just got to make the most of it. You know, I, I know, it's one thing I've always enjoyed about, you know, your articles in, in our magazine and, and even before you were doing the podcast and all that stuff is that you're really good about reminding people to, you know, like they say, you know, in football or any other sport, leave it on the field. You know, when you're when you're at home, be the best dad, be the best husband, be the best worker that you can. And then when you're on the field, have no regrets that you're gone and hunt as hard as you can, you know, and don't think about what you're missing at home and and mope around because it's easy to get into that, especially if you have kids thinking, Oh man, I wonder what they're doing now. And oh, it's probably they're probably getting ready for bed. And man, I'm not there, and I should be. And and but if you're you're doing it to the best of your ability when you're there, then that little bit of time that you're gone, 
you can really focus on the hunt, you know, and, and there's no regret. You didn't leave any chores undone or, or things at work that, that you dropped the ball on. You're 100% ready to go, and you can just focus on what you're doing, and it just makes the experience so much better. It does. It it makes it so fulfilling, whether you're successful or not, that you did put forth maximum effort and gave everything you had. Like being a kid in sports, you know, my dad would always ask me, did, did you give it all you had? And which, you know, is a bit of a loaded question, like what is all you had? But if you give it everything you have and maximum effort, you know, you can feel good about it. And, um, and, and two, for me, like that's I enjoy that. Like I enjoy being immersed in that hunt and thinking about it and trying to figure out how to be successful. And and I think that's an important part of it too is, you know, maybe in my younger years, I was a little too goal driven where, you know, I had to be successful and I had to find a buck where, whereas I get older and I'm able to reflect more, like I just feel so fortunate to have the time to be able to chase my dreams, to have this time that my family's taking care of things and work is taking care of. And I get to be in the mountains where I truly love being and, and and trying to harvest something with a bow and arrow, which is extremely difficult and challenging, but I just can't help but smile. And the, the tougher and the harder it gets, I think any more, the more fun I have, like the more fun I enjoy it or the, the, and also the more I remember it, the, um, the, the more you put into something, the more it means to you. And so like, I just love putting in that maximum effort. Uh, you know, I train all year. And so once I get there, I definitely, like you said, I want to leave it all on the field. Yep, for sure. And when you think about it, a lot of the best memories that are made in the field are when things were miserable, whether it was because of the type of terrain or the weather or whatever. That's one thing that Hunter and I were laughing this spring when we were turkey hunting. And we had actually taken in a couple e-bikes into an area that is kind of iffy with a vehicle and uh, I didn't have uh, the four-wheeler uh, available at that time and so we thought well let's take uh, take the e-bikes and try those out it should be perfect well the e-bikes are awesome for a lot of things I use them a ton anymore but one thing they're not great for is that eastern Montana eastern uh, <laughs> Wyoming or actually most of Wyoming uh, gumbo and it rained on us and we thought, oh, it's no big deal. We've got the e-bikes. We'll just cruise back into this wet area because we had found a really great spot for turkeys that was off the beaten path and nobody really hunts it. And, and we thought, here we go. And, uh, we didn't go anywhere. We went about a hundred <laughs> yards and then that gumbo, uh, just mucked up the, the bikes terribly. And it took us, so we realized we weren't getting any farther. We had to get out of that spot where we we're camping or else we we're going to be stuck there for days. And so, the I had thankfully gotten the suburban back to the main gravel road, which is a little ways away from where we camped. And I said, we got to get these bikes back to the suburban and then go tear down our camp and just kind of backpack the camp out. And uh, it took us, we had to go, it was like, I don't know, not even a half a mile. And it took us two hours to get those bikes there <laughs> because of knocking the gumbo off every 10 feet. It was miserable. And, and then we were frustrated because it blew the night's hunt totally. And there's no way we're going to get back into the spot. And I looked at him and I go, hey, 
making memories and he just rolled his eyes like this is not the time dad <laughs> uh, i uh that was so funny i knew what you were gonna say before you said it with those e-bikes <laughs> yeah they do great well there there isn't a vehicle that does real good in the gumbo but man no. i have been there with you where it's like oh i've got an e-bike it's no big deal I'll just cruise out of here and pretty soon, like you say, that gumbo gets caught in the wheels and caught in the brakes and spits your chain off. And then it's just almost like dead weight where it'd be better to yeah. actually just leave it and walk out. I mean, you wouldn't leave it, but you know what I mean? Like just walking is is better than, than trying to push that bike out. Yeah, that gumbo is miserable. But uh, you're right. Like um, – and there's nothing more hilarious than a bad situation, you know, with friends, controlled, like you're not in danger of dying or anything like that. But I just can't help but look at my buddy and laugh at our situation because it's pouring down rain or because it's snowing like crazy or because, like, we've got ourselves in such a situation where we've got 15, 20 miles to make it out. I just can't help – like, misery loves company. And to be there with a buddy and uh, to, to both share in that there's something magical about that to have a battle buddy that you go that's so fun well especially when you get to the point where you're past being mad and frustrated because it's so ridiculous that you just start laughing you're like this this is this is dumb <laughs> and you you just like you said you laugh it out and, and form a form a memory out of the deal i know my dad and i have a lot of those from mule deer hunting trips you know over the course of my life and and we're still making them you know we're still chaos that ensues at t different times but um that's why last year when my son shot uh, a mule deer that was like a gift wrapped present on a rancher's feedlot pretty much this high mountain mule deer and moved down to the low country to run a bunch of does and um it was just a shooting fish in a barrel type of scenario and and my son shot it and he looked back at me it was a beautiful deer uh, but he looked back at me and kind of shrugged his shoulders like that was weird because we're used to working so hard for everything. And and I said, well, I, I guess it doesn't always have to be hard and miserable. I guess once in a while having a little Christmas present is nice. Yeah, I, I have a saying that I use. You got to take, a, you know, we work so hard for these animals and these critters and opportunities and we're used to that. But you got to take the easy ones with the hard ones. Sometimes when a when an opportunity is gift wrapped like that, you can't just walk away. And um, gosh, it's. That's so funny. Like um, the memories that you're making with your son are so great, and I'm making them with my daughters as well. And you know, we're gonna go on an adventure hunt this weekend, but uh, I'm still making them with my dad as well. And um, it's so funny. He's kind of my dad is tough as nails, and um, you know, he's tougher than his brothers. He's tougher than everybody in his family. He is just a tough codger. But you know, we've been hunting together, you know, we pretty much, he moved to Montana about a year after me, and we've been here about 20 years, and he had never shot a branch antler bull when he lived here, and I remember rifle season, you know, I'd found some elk, and they were way back into this, this North Squaw Creek, and this North Squaw Creek, you had to leave, and it was, you know, it was past the miles that we were all used to hiking to go kill an elk. You know, I don't know how many miles, but, you know, 10, 15 miles and, and a few thousand feet of elevation, like we had to go earn it. And um, I, I, me and my dad have had so many of those memories. And I think anymore he's getting smarter to really talk over the details before he commits to a hunt with me because we have been <laughs> – 
I mean, we've been sideways in the gumbo 50 miles from a gravel road where I'm pretty much just rally driving and he's closing his eyes as we go across bridge crossings and everything else, you know, <laughs> all the way from long pack outs, like on a branch antler bull, we killed back there in North Squaw, um, deer hunting, uh, getting back on sketchy roads. Like, it seems like we're always getting in those situations, but you know, they are the fondest memories I have. And, and I want to just continue to make them with my own dad and go on these adventures. And if it was easy, we wouldn't be having any fun. Like it, it's fun that it's trying and it's fun that it's tough and challenging. And these, these backcountry hunts, they're really good at throwing you curveballs. Like you can go over all the challenges you think you're going to have in your head. And it seems like a new one will just pop up that you have to, that, that you have to jump over or have to cross that that you weren't expecting and and I think that's the true test of like mental toughness is like being able to have curveballs thrown at you and just go okay well this is what it is now and this is what we have to deal with and we're going to continue to move forward um, but I just I love those life lessons that that hunting teaches us and then the memories that we get to make with um, family and friends it doesn't get any better no it doesn't it's pretty priceless mm-hmm so, yeah, you guys have had some success this year. So you talked about that hunt that you went on with Scott, and Hunter went mm-hmm. along. So that was a high country deer hunt, right? Yep, it was. It was. Uh, we Fortunately, we had uh, some time to scout in August, and we it was an area that we're basically familiar with, but we hunted it a different way and from a different direction, and so we got a different look at some things. And I'm, I'm just a little familiar with it. Scott is intimately familiar with it. He's grown up hunting there, but... Um, we we found um, a lot of encouraging bucks, um, you know, in August, and obviously enough to make us want to go back. And, and we did that, and got up there, and turned up a couple of them right away when Scott glass that night. And then we actually got in there a little bit before the season, like I, I think it was a day, day and a half, something like that, before the season started. And and so we glass for that day and found a couple that we didn't see all the ones we would had hoped to get on, but we did see a couple good ones and. And uh, Scott ended up shooting a, a dandy buck that wasn't one we scouted, actually. Um, when we went back to the drawing board when some things weren't working out, um, I, I turned up a couple huge typicals, and him and Hunter were checking a different area, a different basin. We split up, and uh, I had actually uh, wounded a buck the day before, um, one of the ones we had scouted. I made terrible shot on him with my rifle, which I've, I mean, I've never lost an animal with my rifle in my life, um, over the course of 30 years of rifle hunting. And, and, uh, unfortunately I did up there this year it was an absolute heart breaking, gut wrenching couple days, um, physically, mentally, everything just, I was toast and, uh, talk about that mental up and down, you know, that we were just talking about earlier. And, um, so I was also, I was glassing for deer for, for Scott still and keeping a watchful eye, but also hoping that I could turn that, that buck up even where he maybe bedded down that we didn't see when we were looking for him for, for a couple of days. So, um, long story short, we didn't find that buck, unfortunately. And, um, but we turned up another buck for Scott and we ended up relocating camp and going even farther in. So we were about six miles to our glassing ridge where we packed in and this time we didn't do this for the, uh, scouting trip or for the hunting trip. We took two llamas in with us and this is my first time using them. Scott's used them a few times and I've always wanted to try it. And, um, especially the older I get, you know, it's harder to carry all that weight on your back for too, too far. And, 
and uh, and be productive the next day. And so I thought, yeah, let's try the llamas out. So we did, and we got about six miles in, glassed, and uh, you know turned up some deer, and and thought we we're going to have some success with the one that I hit. And uh, after that all happened, we kind of boogered up the whole area. You know how high country mule there are; they're not going to just hang around and wait for you to try and shoot a different one. And so we decided to, in order to get on these other typicals for Scott, um, we had to relocate camp. And if we wouldn't have had the llamas, we probably wouldn't have done it. But we had to get another three to four miles in there. And so we did that and set up camp and glassed. And and uh, we found one of those bucks again. And Scott made a great shot on it. And uh, it was the last night of the hunt, actually. We were in there for a week. And uh, packed, we packed him. He died in kind of a hole, and so it was a tough spot to get any livestock down to. So we packed him up to the ridge, got him back to camp, and the llamas did the rest of the work for us and hiked out the next day in a blizzard in September. So that was interesting. Man, uh, Hunter got the full experience on that one. Oh, man, he did. It was <laughs> trial by fire. Oh, boy, we, we several times were like, man, Hunter, you're doing such a good job. We're like, if you can do this, you can do almost anything in life because there's, as I said earlier, a lot of adults that would break. I know of people, in more than one example, that have had borderline mental breakdowns back there because it gets so hard. And and uh, he just kept chugging along. He did great after that first night of you know having a little mental battle with himself. He uh, He's like, let's do this, you know, and he did great. And it was fun to watch young legs too. I mean, it's not like I'm ancient or anything, but I am in my early forties and you know, things are just getting a little bit harder every year. Like our parents warned us they would. And, and uh, it's fun to watch him, you know, run up a rock slide to catch an angle with a camera that he wanted to get where Scott and I were huffing and puffing and trying to get up this thing. It was hilarious. Scott's like, he's making me sick <laughs> watching him run up that stuff. So Hunter got some good footage too, huh? He did. He did a great job. Um, he got um, all the footage we needed and then some. Plus, we had a bunch of scouting footage uh, that we got earlier. So it should be a good episode. We're gonna. Um, I don't know when that one's gonna debut, but it'll be sometime in uh, 2021. And I imagine we'll probably put it on both Beyond the Grid and and also uh, Eastman's Hunting TV. But we'll just see what happens. Man, how cool. Um, you're doing a great job of training up my future cameraman, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, keep up with you, Brian. I know if, if they ever asked me to, uh, hey, we need, Brian needs a camera guy, I'd say not it. Because I don't think <laughs> I uh, Well, um, sorry to hear about your buck in there. It does sound like you guys had a successful trip. I think it's good that you're honest about that. Um, man, you've had a good record 30 years of not wounding anything or hitting anything bad. What do you think went wrong on the shot? Uh, what happened was it was a learning experience for sure. So we, uh, there's a buck that we call the goalpost buck and, uh, we, he had only given us, um, really brief appearances and we were scouting. There's other ones that we watched for hours and days and a great video footage of them. And, uh, but he was just fleeting. He was in, it's not that he knew we were there or anything, but, he was a smart buck and he was just, he wouldn't be out in the opening for very long in any opening. And, um, he's very elusive even when he had his velvet on. And, um, since we only got fleeting glimpse of, uh, glimpses of him when we were, um, scouting, you know, you naturally piques your interest. Like, man, I wish we could get a better look at him. And so opening morning, we, we hiked for a couple hours in the dark to get into position. 
um, where most of the Bucks were hanging out. Uh, there's, there's a bachelor group that we'd been watching and he wasn't part of them. Um, he was kind of off by himself, but, um, we got into, we could hear deer in the dark feeding ahead of us and they, they didn't know we were there. And so we just stopped and, and we gave it a couple more minutes for it to get light enough so we could actually shoot if, you know, we wouldn't spook anything. And, um, there were seven bucks that were 50 yards from us and none of them were the ones we'd scouted there. They weren't any of the shooters. And so we just let them get out of the way so we didn't spook them. And then we kept just poking along, poking along on this game trail. And, uh, um, Scott looked up the shoot and, and he's like, there's a buck, there's a buck. And he, and he, and he looked up with his binoculars and it wasn't, he was holding out for one of the other ones we'd scouted. We'd seen a, a good, a good non-typical on there. And he's like, I really want to, I was kind of like, you know, I want to shoot that one or nothing initially. And, and, and he, he said, you got to shoot this buck. He was all excited. And I get up there and look and I'm like, and, and about that time the buck picked his head up and I said, that's the goalpost buck. That's him. And I jacked one in the chamber and Hunter got the camera on him and, and I was on shooting sticks and secure and everything. And my rifle was dialed and, and he was feeding away from us up this, up the shoot. And, um, when he turned to look at us, he gave me a quartering away shot and it was a hard quartering away shot, but I was so confident with my rifle. And, um, and I, you know, I've hunted mule deer literally my whole life. I've never seen a big buck that's aware of your presence gradually turn and give you a broadside shot if he knows you're there already they go from standing to starting 100 miles an hour and especially when they have gravity in their favor like he did and so i like he's not not going to give me another shot he's he's trying to he's studying us right now and uh, and, and it was it was fairly close with a rifle i mean it was 134 yards is what i ranged him at and uh chip shot is what it should be and i sh- should have put the crosshairs at the base of where his neck and shoulder met because of how he was folded around looking at us with his rump facing us. And instead I thought I could thread the needle and take out a shoulder and I was dumb. And, uh, and I shot about three inches to the left, which ended up in, as they say, a Texas hard shot. And it wasn't uh, a rump shot that of course was broadside that would have broken that hip. And so it was just a straight up meat shot in it. And I believe, I don't have any proof of this, of course, but I believe it went into his guts. And, uh, we watched where he went down or not, not went down like drop, but I mean, was going down mountain and then he disappeared in some trees. And so we gave him plenty of time and just calmed down and rewatched the footage, could tell exactly where I hit him. And I was sick, but I thought, you know, one time when I was in my early twenties, I had something similar happen and I found the deer. So that's okay. We're going to find him. I know what he's doing. Let's give him time. And, uh, we tore that country apart for two days. We had no blood trail, no sign. There's no, of course, as early enough, there's no snow, no frost on anything that we could follow it where he went. It was heavy vegetation. So you couldn't really see tracks. Um, and we just, once we got past the part where we thought it looked you know, logically where he would have gone. Then we started doing the whole gritting out and combing through, um, the, the, the cover that was there. And we did that for two days and, uh, never found him. And I was just, I was sick to my stomach for literally for pretty much for the rest of the trip. And I'm not being, not being over dramatic. I, I was literally sick over it because number one, I'd been looking for a buck like that for so long. Finally had a, a close shot at one. Um, 
Number two, weren't going to get the meat for the freezer. Number three, wounded an animal without getting anything out of it. Um, you know, I don't like disturbing them unless it is to actually harvest harvest them and, and to fill the freezer. Um, and then, you know, plus we do this for a living. And, you know, I didn't, wasn't sure if that was going to result in us being able to get a TV show out of the deal. Plus, I screwed up our buck area <laughs> that we'd scouted. I mean, it was just one thing after the other. And I was really down and. And, um, but you know, like, you know, there's always ups and downs to every hunt and thinking back on, like you said, having a 30 year track record of never having that happen and being able to recover every animal that, you know, you, you start to think through everything logically and take the emotion out of it. And then, you know, getting back home and talking to my wife about it too. She's always so encouraging. And she said, well, you know, you, you took Hunter on the trip to be a camera guy partially, but also as you've always said, being on the field, especially in those types of hunts, really teaches you uh, about life and, and it gives perspective. And um, she said, you probably didn't think of it at the time, but you also showed him how to act in complete disappointment. And, uh, you know, when things don't go as planned. And then, you know, a couple of days later, uh, me and one of the llamas had a rodeo with a giant boar black bear. Um, that was a circus and dealing with that and the llamas being freaked out for a little bit after that because one of them had been chased by a black bear two weeks prior. So he was a little gun shy, obviously. And then ultimately Scott shooting his beautiful deer that he did and getting back to, you know, the trailhead safely. And, and it was an epic adventure. It really was. It was, it was, it was lots of ups and downs and, and taught me something on, you know, shots to take and not to take and where to aim and where not to. And even after all these years, you still learn something. Man, what a, what a great takeaway, Brandon. Way, way to take some positive from that hunt. And I knew, I know it probably took you a while to see the positive and looking at it from a different perspective. Um, but, but the whole reason it bothered you is because you are such a good, genuine, authentic person that wants to do right in this world, you know, you know, by the woods and, and by nature, also, you know, by your kids and then by your you want to live by these standards. You're not trying to 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 pretend you're something that you're not or somebody that you're not. Um, man, I what a great job uh, uh, describing that scenario and how it went down and then learning from it and trying to become better. Like that's you can't have those moments back and they absolutely eat you up like it. It probably just about ruined the rest of the trip for you or the next week or two where you just thought about it and rethought about it, rethought about the shot. Gosh, I wish I would have done this different or I wish I would have waited, mm -hmm. but we just don't get that chance in life. Like once it's done, it's done and it's over with and you can't have it back. And so what do you do from there? The only thing to do from there is to learn from it, get better and, 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 go back out and try to enjoy what you love to do. But I, I just think that's so great how you described everything. And you're so, like I say, you're so genuine when you talk about it and accidents happen and mistakes happen. And that's part of the learning experience. Like failure is the prerequisite to success. Like you have to fail and, and hopefully, you know, we don't fail that bad that often, but it does happen to the best of us. And, and so part of it, uh, do you think it was the angle of that shot or you should have placed the bullet better? Or do you think you were just trying to th thread the needle in there too tight when you look back at it? Um, looking back at it, I would still take the shot. Um, cause I, I mean, I had enough 
room to make a killing shot on him. Um, but I just pulled it to the left for whatever reason. I wouldn't aim at the same spot, though. I would have put it more towards the base of his neck um, or not shot at all. Um, there was just too little room for error where, where I hit him or where I, excuse me, where I was aiming. Um, and I was just so confident that, you know, on my rifle and how it's been shooting and, and, you know, where we were at, it wasn't a long shot. I'm like, this is a dead deer. You know, I'm like, I I got him. He, he, I got him. I was, I was just confident, like missing or making a bad hit. Wasn't even, wasn't even in my mind. It was like, he's done. I got him. And, and that's not the way it happened. And, uh, but like you said, that's the challenging part is to learn from it because, um, like I tell everybody, one of the things I, I, like, I, one thing I, I, I brag about a little bit in life is I'm really good at backing up trailers and <laughs> guess how I got that way. I jackknifed a trailer. <laughs> I jackknifed a trailer. I put a dent in my dad's vehicle when I was in high school and I was so petrified to go home. I was going to run away from home and everything. You know, <laughs> and but guess what I don't do anymore? I don't jackknife trailers. And I can back up a trailer better than almost anybody that I know. And I'm not saying that to brag. It's just I, I learned because I screwed up. You know, I, I screwed up royally. And hopefully this is a teachable moment for, for me, for people who are listening, for people who, you know, watch the show, for my son, for others I tell a story to, whatever, that, you know, it's not like it's life or death, uh, you know, for human beings, the story, you know, to learn from, but it is, you know, there's a big takeaway there that, you know, don't be too cocky. Don't be overconfident. Um, um, err on the side of caution, you know, give yourself the biggest kill zone or just don't shoot because it's not worth it. I mean, if I had the option, um, you know, to do it again, like I said, I would probably aim differently or just not shoot. I'd rather not even have a shot than have that happen. And it's just, it's gut wrenching. And, uh, but it is what it is and it happened. And, just got to move on from it. And, and you, you know, you got to remember too, that it's not, you're not the first person it's ever happened to and, and you're not going to be the last. And so, you know, you can't be moping around and be depressed. You got to get over it and, and you got to move on. It reminds me of a line from one of the most famous Westerns, which I love Westerns. One of the most famous Westerns of all time is Rio Bravo. It's with John Wayne and um, Dean Martin and, Walter Brennan and a bunch of, at that time, a star studded cast. And, um, Dean Martin has a hangover and part of it. He's a recovering drunk and he's kind of moping around and moaning about it. And John Wayne looks at him. He goes, don't think you're so special. You think you invented the hangover. And the point is you're not the first one to go through this, dude, get over it. You know, <laughs> and that's the way it is with everything in life. Don't think you're so special. You know, we've all had tough times and challenges. Get over it. So. That's what you got to do. Yeah, good for you. Back on the horse. Yeah. Yep. And and plus, I had to remember, you know, Scott's been generous enough to take me into some of his honey holes, and and we still had another guy to get a deer. You know, we still had to hunt hard and glass hard, just like he was for me. And that's one of the fun things about, like you said earlier, hunting with a, a good buddy is that um, it, there's that accountability factor too. Not just that you're helping somebody, but they're going to do that for you, so you better man up and do it for them. And uh, we still had a, over half of our hunting days left, and and we still had another deer to get. So let's go do it. 
Oh, good for you. You committed to those days and committed to to hunting hard. So, yeah, you had to just get over it and get back on the glass and try to help Scott uh, get his opportunity. Um, but, yeah, some great lessons in there, Brandon. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. It's obviously not fun to talk to and you relieve that. But, you know, it is what it is. And I don't want, you know, I don't think it's good to not talk about that stuff and challenges because then other people can't learn from it. And, um, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts about social media is that, and even to a certain point, some of the hunting shows, is that they paint this perfect picture of everything always goes as planned and nothing bad ever happens. So that's just not reality. Everybody has that. And I think it helps people um, realize they're in good company when you show that and you, and you talk about it. And, um, you know, we just, we all got to learn together. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's unfair to not talk about it because there's going to be guys that go through this year after year with a bow or with a rifle. And so I think it's important to talk about the steps you take and the feelings that you have. And same thing right before season is I did a podcast all about recovering your game animal. And in that podcast, I talked about when things go right and you make a perfect shot and they die. And then I talked about when things go wrong and then the steps yeah. that you take as far as blood trailing, as far as gritting. And then when that works out and you find that animal and you put in the work and it works out. And then I also shared an experience like yours where I hit an elk and I did not recover that elk. And I talked about, you know, what you do as far as uh, your tag and your hunt and, and the feelings you have and responsibility you have. And so, like, I think it's really important to share that with guys because guys are going to go through that. And you're right. It is one of the problems is this perfect picture is painted through uh, through media that, that makes it seem like it's 100 percent. And every time you shoot an animal, you get it. And, you know, the. The reality is, is that, uh, you know, probably every hunter once in his life will have to go through a situation similar to that. And if they don't have any, if they don't have any idea or they've never talked about it or thought about it, you know, they may make a mistake that, that limits them from getting their game animal, from not putting enough effort forth or, um, you know, just dealing with those feelings thinking that, that they are the only one or that uh, mm -hmm. they beat themselves up over it for months where um, you're right. You said um, you said it's not life or death for humans. And I think that perspective is important too. that the, you know, the, the biggest goal, like you never want to wound an animal. You never want one to get away, but the most important thing is to live to hunt <clears> another day. It's to bring you and your son home safely. It's to bring me home to my family. Like uh, I want to push my limits, but at the end of the day, my ultimate goal is to make sure that I come home safely. And safety is the the first three rules of the backcountry: safety, safety, safety. You know, and so like we have to keep things in perspective too. And and we can we can sure beat ourselves up over things. And I I think it's you know that that is the right feeling to have. You know, to go through that emotional roller coaster and to feel really bad about it and to want to do better, but. Ultimately, we have to get over it and, and uh, get on with it and get back on the horse and try to make good decisions. So, um, man, that yeah. hunter, that son of yours, uh, he is turning into quite the cameraman. I don't know many 15-year-olds that have had multiple episodes uh, on outdoor TV. That's just amazing. So he had um, – Last year, the one that went on Beyond the Grid was an elk hunt that you bow yep. hunted, and then he got to yep. rifle hunt that same hunt, right? 
Yep, exactly. We both drew the same limited quota elk tag in Wyoming, and we don't apply as a party. We do individual. So uh, the fact that we both drew is kind of a miracle, really. And, um, uh, yeah, it was just it was fun to see him. There's been a lot of firsts. You know, obviously he's young. And, you know, two years ago or, well, yeah, two years ago, I guess it was, um, he drew a limited quota uh, deer tag, which is really tough to draw in the state, the unit that he drew and shot a nice mule deer, um, that we also, actually, I guess we use that one too, um, from the footage and, and then he drew that elk tag last year. And so you're talking about, uh, a young kid who is shooting some pretty good animals, um, and staying pretty composed. I mean, he did not that he doesn't get buck fever or bull fever or whatever. Cause he, he did, we had to have him, you know, calm down a little bit before he shot, but, um, yeah, he's just done such a great job, and I, I think the part of that too is a reflection of it's just a you know the lifestyle that we lead, and and he uh, we spend time at the range, and I want to make sure that they're you know that they're confident and comfortable. I don't want you know a, a weekend before he's ever shot a high power rifle, we lean over the hood of the pickup and shoot at a beer can or something like that. That's not the way to do it. You know, we practice with the shooting sticks. We practice with the rounds and we gong steel out to yardages that he would never shoot at a big game animal just to build his confidence. And, uh, uh you know, just all of that stuff. Plus with our archery equipment that we shoot with at home. And, um, it, he's just done a real good job. And, and, and the, the amount of scenarios I've drug him through, um, cold, miserable weather, high mountain basins, sagebrush low country 20 below burning his hand on a wall tent stove one year um you know just you know, grizzly country all that stuff and he keeps wanting to go i'm like you know i don't, I don't think i can break you not that i'm trying but you know, <laughs> it's one of those deals that you know hindsight's 2020 20, you look back on it and go what was i thinking taking him on that trip you know certain trips that i've taken him on but at the time i felt like he was ready for it you know and he you just, I think that's part of the curse of the oldest child in the family too, is that your parents are learning to parent and you kind of get the short end of the stick with, you know, you're putting, that's why I think a lot of times the oldest kid grows up so fast is just because you just expect a lot out of them unfairly, you know, and, and he does, he does a good job. I remember one time he was, we were in uh, Western North Dakota where I grew up in November hunting with my dad we drove through a blizzard to get there at the time we were driving a Chevy Impala, which was dumb. We should have just taken our suburban and we drove 45 miles an hour, a trip that normally takes five hours, took us eight. And, uh, we get there and there's like two feet of snow and blowing and it's 20 below zero. I think, I think the actual temperature the next morning we woke up was 18 below zero. And, um, my dad had the wall tent stove roaring when we got there to a balmy, like 45 degrees. And, uh, the, the stove had been running for hours as he waited for us. So it was just red hot. And, uh, by the time we got settled in, it was late that night. It was like 1030. We were going to go outside to use the bathroom one more time. And he went to go put on his boots. And like I said, he was seven or eight years old and he, um, lost his footing in the tent. And, you know, your natural reaction is put your hands out to catch yourself. His right hand went square on the top of that stove and, I just caught it out of the corner of my eye and I look up and I see his look of terror on his face and he's staring at his hand and, uh, instant blisters. You know, he had second, second degree burns on his right hand and we're an hour and a half from any medical place. And, uh, thankfully my wife's a nurse. My mom is a nurse. I was 
you know, kind of raised in that world and, and knew how to, um, take care of yourself, I guess, if it's not too extreme. And, uh, I had some, um, well, actually we did an article on it, I think a while ago, it was that tech new first aid gel that they used to have. And that stuff, that's why I'm such a believer in it as a miracle worker. And we, once we got his hand kind of cooled down with some snow and then we put the ointment on there or the first aid gel and then, uh, and wrapped it and gave him some painkiller medication. And he didn't fall asleep till 2 a.m. because he was in such pain. And, and I knew going to the hospital, they were going to do the same thing that I was going to do anyway. So it's like, well, we're smart if we stay here, especially during this blizzard. And, um, he, we had to get up at five to start hunting. And, uh, we hunted that next day and this little guy's, you know, trudging through two feet of snow, which are, you know, past his knees and second degree burns on his hand. It's 18 below zero. And I'm like, I'm not going to win father of the year award on this trip. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, like I said, at the time it didn't seem like it was really that big of a deal, but looking back on it, it's like that poor kid. But anyway, he should have some perspective when he grows up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, adventure's good for these kids too. Like uh, so many of the, you know, it's so safe everywhere, and all the kids are so coddled nowadays. It's good for them to get out in nature. It's not good to burn your kid's hand, but it's good for them <laughs> to have adventures, you know. And um, these memories with dad, and uh, you know, going on, going to all these places. These are things that are gonna last a lifetime for them. You know, it. It's just so cool that you put so much time and effort into it, uh, into giving your kids this, these experiences. And, um, man, I'm really excited for you this weekend for that antelope hunt and to get your daughter in on the action. Um, like mentoring these daughters or these women into, uh, uh, the shooting sports or into hunting, you know, it's, um, it, it's a fun endeavor. They learn so well and listen so well. And they've got a lot of grit and toughness in them, too, you know. And so uh, it'll be fun for you to get your, your oldest daughter out for a hunt as well. Yeah, she's been doing really good at the range and in the field shooting we've been doing and the practicing. And uh, so I think she's going to do really good. And she's so much different than than my son. My son is pretty outgoing and, and uh, you know, constantly telling cheesy jokes like me and, and uh, just – lives to be out there and she's more like my wife where she's very calm, very quiet, doesn't say much and uh, a deep thinker. And, you know, honestly, I think she's doing this because I'm having her do it. But at the same time, you know, I know she's going to have a blast and they, the girls love antelope hunting. And uh, for a long time, I couldn't put my finger on why they would, especially uh, my oldest daughter, because she was at the age where she could go on some of these trips with Hunter and I, and she would always politely say no. And, uh, except for antelope hunting, we would go out and do that locally, but never the, the butt kicking deer and, and, uh, elk hunts. And she, when I found out why she wouldn't give me a straight answer, she was being too nice is, uh, I finally it dawned on me. I took her on a backpacking trip in the summertime. So we weren't hunting. We were just, you know, hiking, fishing, reading, doing whatever that she wanted to do. And I said, is the reason why you don't want to come with me on these backpack trips for deer and elk because I get a little too serious? She kind of looked at me with these big puppy dog eyes and shook her head yes. And so <laughs> I learned that I didn't, I don't feel like I'm that intense, but my wife has told me, she's like, are you serious? It's like <laughs> the couple of times I've been with you, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. And she's like, you get this game face on and you're just going. It's like, man, I, 
I don't, I wasn't trying to be. <laughs> I thought to me that was having fun. She's like, it's not fun. It's not fun <laughs> to hunt with you like that. She's like, antelope hunting is different. You're more laid back and, and, uh, you know, it's just being out and seeing lots of critters and plus it's more vehicle time and maybe a little more secure for them uh, where they don't want that adventure necessarily that maybe Hunter does. So. Well, and it is an adventure for him. It's just to different levels. And I, I think I get that, that same, I'm glad you mentioned that because it reminds me of myself so much that I am so intense and drive so hard to where I really got to dial it back when I plan these hunts with the girls and cater it so they have fun with the experience because it isn't all about shooting a big buck. It, you know, it's about being out in nature and making good hikes and uh, finding fossils or finding an arrowhead or doing a good hike and spending time with dad, quality time with dad. And if I'm always driving and pushing so hard, uh, like all of a sudden it stops being fun for them. And so I definitely want to push their limits and bring them past their comfort level. But I do have to dial it back a little bit as they haven't been training for 20 years to go in the back country with me, you know? And so uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to, to try to cater the hunts to them a little bit and still push hard and push their limits, but uh, not push too hard to where you ruin them on it. So uh, I, I can definitely, I can definitely side with you on that. That makes sense to me as well. Yeah, it's tough to find that balance sometimes, but it's uh, I guess Dad's got to tone down his intensity. In fact, one time, Guy will probably kill me for telling this on the podcast, but I have to. First time when I first started here and I got to go hunting with Guy, of course, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be epic. I'm hunting with Guy Eastman. Here we go. And uh, I looked forward to it for weeks, and you know, it was a planned hunt for the TV show, and everything was just an antelope hunt. And, and uh I get back home and, and my wife said, so how was it? I said, it was the worst experience I've ever had in the field in my entire life. That guy is so intense, man. Holy smokes. He takes it so seriously. I was going on and on and on about it. And, uh, you know, of course now I know what to expect from guy and he's actually a lot of fun to be with in the field. It just, you got to know what to expect. And, um, and my wife kind of raised her eyebrow at me as I'm telling about guys intensity level. And, uh, she goes, are you serious right now? Do you remember chewing me out in the field one time when we were hunting mule deer and I coughed? Do you remember that? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> and so I, I don't think we all realize just, you know, when, when you're really into something, doesn't matter if it's hunting or whatever, you know, your intensity level, level ratches up a little bit because, you know, it's just something you care about. And uh, to people that maybe aren't into it quite as much as you are, they don't get it. You know, and they're just like, dude, chill, chill out. <laughs> what is your problem? <laughs> uh, that's so funny, Brandon, to come full circle and have a guy ruin your antelope experience out there. <laughs> Guy's too intense. Oh, that's funny. Oh, he oh, is. He's, an intense hunter. He's, uh, he's just a, he's a remarkable hunter. You know, a lot of people don't know that. Everybody wants to know, you know, what he's really like behind the scenes or is he really that good of a hunter or is he just putting good opportunities or, you know, all that stuff. And I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. He's a stone cold killer and uh, he, he's good at what he does. And that's why he's been doing it for so long. So oh, he's, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. 
That's why I love visiting with that guy. You know, every time I get the chance to sit down with him, he's just an absolute wealth of knowledge. He's been plugged into Western hunting, you know, in his family and his genes, but he's been plugged into it for so long. It just comes second nature. The the knowledge that he gives away, uh, or, or you know, that when we get talking about things, but. Uh, some of the things he he forgotten is more than I know. A lot of times, you know, um, yeah, he is an amazing hunter for sure. Yeah, he is. It's 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 really dumbfounding to be honest with you. Like I don't think about it too much anymore because I've been here now for ten years. But before that, you know, when I first started, and you know, you grew up watching, you know, the videos and TV show and all that stuff, reading the magazine, and and you know, you you always wondering what it's really like behind the scenes, so to speak, and and. Yeah, they're, they're, he's no joke. That's for sure. I mean, none of them are. The, the, you know, the Eastman family—they know what they're doing in the field, and that's why they've been doing it for so long. So. Yeah, it's so cool. Well, um, I always really enjoy talking with you, Brandon. Um, I don't even have to make a game plan for the podcast. It's just pretty much get you on the phone and get talking. Uh, what a great episode! I can't thank you enough for taking the time and. Um, I'm going to get to my, my oldest daughter has a volleyball game and, um, I love talking to you about parenting and things, but my oldest daughter, she stands five foot one. So she got my height in the family. (laughs) So it, it doesn't make for the best volleyball player, but she loves it. And I've always told her, you know, figure out what you love to do and put your effort into that. And of course she gets great grades in school. She's a really good kid, but she loves volleyball with every fiber of her being. And so She's worked tirelessly to to improve at her game doing these um, traveling volleyball in the offseason, these teams. She goes to every single open gym. She goes to, to, to every single practice with enthusiasm. She just has this awesome attitude at at five foot one and has built her skill set. And this year as a junior, she made the varsity team and uh, she nice. plays an integral part of the varsity team, which is just awesome to see her uh, rotate in and out and, and be a big part of their wins and, and uh, their team and, and uh, take so much pride in it. So uh, I'm going to go watch her. She's getting to the, to the end of her season, but they've got a volleyball game tonight. It's just so fun. I have so much pride in watching her play. So it'll be fun. Yeah, that's cool. And it's nice to see them work so hard. It's something that they're passionate about and, you know, just growing into that young adulthood where you don't feel like you're having to spoon feed everything. Like they found their thing and they're going at it. And, uh, that's neat to see. That's so cool. Oh, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, I absolutely love it. So uh, good luck to, to you guys this weekend after Antelope. Uh, I'm sure I'll be catching up to you soon. But thanks again, Brandon. I always appreciate you having you, uh, you taking the time and having you on the podcast. Oh, same here. I appreciate it too, Brian. And keep up the good work and, and go cheer for some volleyball. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Okay. All right, guys. It's a wrap. Man, it's um, like I say, I love how honest and authentic Brandon Mason is. He just he just speaks the truth and he's unapologetic about it. You know, he um, so I just really enjoy that, and I really liked, you know, how he how he looked into that scenario and how he could play it different. And and I mean, to be honest, it's 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 part of the game. Whether it's a rifle or a bow, you just have to make a a precision shot and. And things can go wrong. Things can move. Things can jump the string. Things can be a bad angle. You know, it's it's um, you know, things can go wrong when you're hunting. And and um, I just think it's so important to have those conversations. So, um, you know, it it 
it it lets everybody know what can happen and and um you know it 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 also puts it in the forefront of our mind to make sure that we're not forcing shots into windows or making sure that we're taking the right angle and and trying to do the right thing because that just it it crushes you when something like that happens um so it's just a great conversation with Brandon. I really appreciate him being so honest on the podcast and and talking over some of his lows for the season. So um, made for a for a good episode. And then he's just so good at at getting his kids involved and and getting them out and into the outdoors. And I I know I really enjoy getting my girls out into the outdoors. And so we definitely have that in common. So just a great conversation. I really appreciate Brandon, and I really like that guy. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Everly Stock. Uh, again, I'm using that kite, uh, I'm u- kite pack, and then I'm using the little big top and uh, the destroyer pack. And then this year, I see they have a new vapor pack coming out in the spring. Uh, so super excited to get my hands on that. And um, yeah, you just build a great durable pack that packs the weight right for a reasonable price. So uh, if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to check out Everly Stock. And then, um, yeah, make sure to, to check out uh, uh, that new film that we just dropped, the Open Country Bucks, or I think it's something like that. But you can find it, Eastman's Hunting TV, on YouTube. And I'm um, super proud how that edit came out and how this whole story kind of unfolded. And, and, um, and, of course, proud how it ended, <laughs> being able to put a perfect shot on a, on a really nice buck. So... Uh, man, just means the world to me. So I'm getting ready to rock and roll here. I'm going to get a podcast loaded up for this week, one loaded up for next week, and then I take off uh, Friday. So I've got one last hunt of the year, and um, man, I'm just super excited. Uh, uh, hopefully I can get everything, well, I will get everything taken care of. Um, there's always so much to do before I leave, and um, I just had my family down in Arizona Gosh, got some great runs, got some great scouting in there. So uh, that was super fun, and and um, yeah, we'll we'll head down, and and uh, I got my good buddy going down, Dan Heverin, and so uh, we'll do some sort of content. I'm not, we don't have an exact plan yet, whether we're we're gonna film it or um, you know do a live podcast or something like that. But I'll I'll figure that out. We'll work out the details. I still got a couple days. Uh, gosh, I got to get started packing. I like to pack at least a day or two before I leave so I can make sure I've got everything I need. But um, yeah, just uh, it, it's always a bit crazy trying to get everything done before I take off, but uh, we'll get there. So uh, get this podcast out to you guys for this week and um, get one loaded up for next week. Of course, next week, make sure to tune in. We've got Marlon Holden, Gray Light Hunter, uh, just an absolute mule deer fanatic with his bow and arrow. And uh, got just great insight into mule deer. I really enjoyed that conversation. So it's going to be a great episode. I'll get that all loaded up and ready, and we'll release it to you uh, towards the beginning of next week so you have it if you're going on any of these Arizona desert hunts or anything of that nature. So, All right, guys, that's a wrap. Check in with you next week.